Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. Now, let's check out this week's message from Pastor Lawrence. Go ahead and have a seat for a moment, if you would. I just want to take this time to speak to you a little bit, to those here in the house, to those of you that are watching from home online today. Welcome into this place. I want to kind of do a little, uh, it's almost like an interruption in our worship set, but it's going to lead into a time of communion that we're going to spend in this morning. So here's the question. Have you ever been in a season or a situation when you just were convinced that God was not working for you? You called out to him. He didn't answer. It didn't seem like he was there. You couldn't feel it. You couldn't see him working. And you just kind of assumed that maybe he's, he's not there. I just want to remind you this morning that everything that we just sang, graves into garden, ashes for beauty, shame into glory, mourning to dancing, bones into armies, seas into highways, every one of those phrases is a biblical description of what God has done for his people. And so, yeah, you can give it up for that. Even if, even if it don't seem like God is working for you, this is what he has already done. But it hasn't come without a price. And it wasn't a price that you paid, but it was a price that he paid. I want you to listen to this. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely, that is most definitely, certainly, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There is no question about who this is talking about. This is the suffering servant. This is God's Messiah, the one that came into our world, the one whose birthday we just celebrated over Christmas. And this, by the way, is one of the clearest passages in all of Scripture about what he has done for us. It is clear and it is simple. There's two things that I want to point out from this verse. Number one is what God has done. And number two is that what he has done, he has done for you. Here's what he did. Isaiah shows us what Jesus has done. He's born born grief. He's carried sorrow. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was punished. And he was wounded. Now, to be sure, there's a lot happening here, a lot of terrible things, a true curse, and it's all coming down on the Messiah. It's all coming down on him. Jesus really was the suffering servant. He was absolutely afflicted. But it's not just that Jesus bore grief. It's not just that he carried sorrow. It's not just that he was crushed or wounded. It's that he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He bore, uh, you know, he was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement that brought us peace was, was on him. It was by his wounds we were healed. This, this is something that you and I need to grasp because if we don't, if we don't get this, uh, the very fact that Jesus paid it all, we're never really going to appreciate our Savior. We're never really going to worship him like we, we should. We're never really going to owe him everything that he is because Jesus did it all. He paid it all for you and me. 
Now, I think we need to be very careful that we don't distance ourselves from these words as if they're relevance, uh, as if there's no relevance to them in the 21st century. Right? Instead, I think what we need to do and what I would like us to do this morning is draw closer to these words, kind of enter into this narrative and, and hear the Savior say to all of us, thy, thy strength, a child of weakness, right? watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, thine all in all. Jesus might say, my, your only hope, find in me your only hope. See, Isaiah 53 is for you, just to bring it home a little bit more. It's for you. And I'm just wondering this morning, can you feel the weight of these words? Can you sense the wonder of what Jesus has done for you? Jesus has borne your grief. Your sorrows were the ones that he carried. Your transgressions, all of your sins were the ones that pierced him, the ones for which he paid. For you. For you. He was crushed viciously put to death for your iniquities. It was a death that you deserved. It was a punishment reserved for you. All of that he took upon himself in your place so that you might have peace. By his wounds you have been healed. Now the question, the question is, what do we do with that? What is our response to all that, to Isaiah 53? If that really is for us, if that's why Jesus came into our world, and if that's what he has done, what do we do with that? There's two things, two things that we're going to do that's the only appropriate response, and we're going to do both of those this morning. Number one is we just need to pause for a moment and give him thanks. Would you agree? I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Let's just give him thanks for what he has done for us. And then number two, we're going to turn that thanksgiving into praise. And we're going to do both of that. But here's what we're going to do right now. When you came in this morning, hopefully you received the little communion cup, the little fellowship cup. If you have not, uh, just raise your hand and the ushers will make sure that you get one of these. We're going to participate in a time of communion this morning. And this communion is a reflection. This is our way of saying thank you uh, to the one who has given all for us, the one who paid it all. And what we're going to do, we're going to take this cup, and when you receive it, there's a little transparent tab on the top, and you just tear that back right now. There's a little wafer in there. It's not going to taste like that fresh English muffin that you had this morning, but it is representative of Christ's body. And we're going to take this little piece, this little wafer, this bread, and we're going to remember and give thanks because Jesus instructed us to do that. And on the night before he went to the cross, he met with his disciples in that upper room and they sat around the table and there was bread and there was wine. There may have been some other food there as well, but Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, listen, and then, and then he gave thanks. And he said, I want you to eat this. And every time, every time you eat this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Because Jesus paid it all for us. He paid it all by having his body, by giving his body to be broken and beaten and wounded for us. So God, we thank you today for this little piece of bread that is now our reminder of the broken body that you have given for us, wounded so that we might be healed, bruised and beaten so that our sins could be forgiven. 
And so this morning we take this little bread and we hold it and we give thanks to you for that incredible gift of your broken body. We now eat in remembrance and thanksgiving. Let's eat together. And Jesus took the cup and he just said, listen, this is the blood of the new covenant. And he was again referring to his shed blood. Now you can have a broken body and a beaten body, right? And that you, you can still live. You can be bruised and still live. But when you take your blood and you shed your blood, this is life. This is life. So the cup represents the fact that he actually died for you. He died for us. Not just beaten and bruised, but died. And so as we take this cup this morning, we're going to give thanks again for the incredible gift of life because without the shedding and the gift of his blood, there would be no forgiveness and no remission of sins. So Father, we thank you today for this symbol that we have of your shed blood for us. We thank you for your willingness to go to that cross and give of your life so that we might live. And again, our only appropriate response today is to thank you, and we do that. We do that now as we drink together. Let's drink the cup, remembering his shed blood for us. Has your mind ever wandered during a worship service? Come on, anybody but want to be honest? Have your mind ever wandered? Certainly not during the sermon, I know that, but you know other times, right? So let me tell you a story about this girl, Elvina Hall. She, uh, she was sitting in the balcony one time and, uh, during a worship service, and her mind just began to wonder. And that's not stereotypical of our balcony people, just so you know that. We love our balcony people. I just don't get up there enough to greet you, right? But she was sitting in the balcony during a Sunday service, and her pastor was up front, and he was praying. And her mind began to wonder. And her mind wondered to the cross. So here's the deal. I'll give, you per, I'll give you permission. If your mind wonders, just let it wander to the cross, right? So she began picturing in her mind the cross and Jesus on that cross. She pictured the other two crosses on either side where the thieves were hanging. And then she actually pictured and, and, and maybe even in her own mind heard Jesus say to that one thief, your sins are forgiven. You'll enter into paradise with me. And she kind of visualized Jesus saying to the crowd around the cross, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then she said, she's sitting in that balcony, her mind is wandering. And she said, I actually heard the Lord say to me, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. So she's sitting in the balcony, she took the hymn book and she opened it, and uh, when we had the hymn books in our, our pews, you could find this as well, she opened it, and right inside the hymn book there are two blank pages. And so she just took her thoughts at that moment and wrote them down in those blank pages. That's why we have blank pages in the hymnal, so you can write a hymn, right? And so that's exactly what she did, and she wrote down all these words to the hymn that we're about to sing. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left that crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We're going to sing these first three verses as we remain seated. 
And as we sing them, just kind of sing them reflectively, give thanks, and then we're going to stand together at the bridge of this song, and we're going to praise Him. That's the second part. That's the second thing that we do in response to everything that Jesus did for us. First of all, we thank Him. Second, we praise Him, and we're going to do both. But just remain seated now, and let's just sing together this beautiful hymn, Jesus Paid It All.
trust you today. We're going to forsake all the foolish pursuits that used to consume our lives. We'll stop condemning our past for self, for past sins. We will relinquish the shame that we've harbored for so long, and we will abandon all of our self-absorbed efforts to make ourselves worthy. Indeed, we declare that you and you alone are worthy. Amen. You may be seated. Join me in thanking our team for leading us in worship this morning. It's been, it's been great. We uh, kind of the way it is right now, there's people that are, are missing and uh, people that are not here. And so we had a little bit of a skeleton crew this morning, missing some of our guitarists and vocalists. But I uh, hope you're watching online. But it was just great to have you here this morning just to participate in this worship. Wow, it's good to be here on this first Sunday of the new year uh, to join in worship uh, in this brand new series called Get to the Point. And what we're planning to do in this series, our goal in this series is to kind of revisit why we do what we do. Why are we gathering in a place like this this morning? And I know some of you online are, well, are, are looking forward to the time when you can come back into this place, but we want to answer that question today. And then before we leave today, I'll tell you what next Sunday is going to be about as well. But why are we gathering? Why are we here this morning? Now, every week, or every, yeah, every week we're going to begin our service with a scripture from the Psalms. And uh, this week, is the Psalm is Psalm 122, which is a verse of great anticipation that says, I rejoiced with those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, this, of course, is as a reference to the ancient Old Testament uh, Jewish believers who would go to the uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover and other festivals each year. And while they were there, they would enter into the temple, and they referred to the temple as the house of the Lord. This was where uh, the Lord dwelt. And he made his dwelling there in the midst of his people. First of all, it was at the tabernacle, and then later it was at the temple. Now, because God always has been and is a spirit, it wasn't the physical presence of God, like in the form of a person, but it was representation of what God was. So in the tabernacle, obviously it was the Shekinah glory that kind of went before him. It was often in the form of a cloud, a pillar of fire or smoke or something 
something like that. That was the presence of the Lord when it came to the tabernacle. There were the other articles in there, like the uh, mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, and then the angels that were on that mercy seat, the cherubim on there, and God's presence was like right in the middle of that. So all of that was symbolic, obviously, of the Lord's presence. But there was a part of the temple that was called the Holy of Holies, and that was God's throne on earth. That was where the mercy seat and the ark were contained, and that was where the very presence of God was. But the ancient Israelites would go to the tabernacle and then also to the temple, and that's where they would worship God. That's where they would meet uh, with God. This is where God was found. And by the way, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about how this worked. In the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God made a covenant with a guy by the name of Abraham. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter 12. But this was a covenant of promise and a blessing. And the Lord remembered that covenant when the children of Israel went into slavery in Egypt as a result of their disobedience, right? So the children of Israel decided they, they knew better than God and they put God aside. They ended up in slavery in Egypt. And God remembered that covenant that he made with Abraham with Abraham. So he raised up, uh, he made known his name to Moses, called Moses out and said, Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and lead my people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. I want my people to be free. So the Lord brought them to himself at Sinai and then up into the promised land, even though they were rebellious and grumbled the whole way. God still doesn't leave his people even when we grumble. And uh, we, we say amen to that, right? So the Lord showed himself to be this gracious God, a God who was slow to anger and a God who was abounding in steadfast love. So this was the God this was the God who made his dwelling at the temple on Mount Zion. And that's where the Israelites could now go to meet with him. And at that temple, here's what happened. At that temple, God provided some sacrifices that would be the atonement for the sins of the people. So as they went into the temple, they recognized the sacrifices that were being made, why they were being made, and it was the propitiation for their sins. So they came away from the temple feeling forgiven, knowing that God has forgiven their sins. They also heard prayers that the priests would offer on their behalf. It was also a place where they could pray. It was also at the temple where they sang and they had musical instruments and all of this was to uplift the people, uh, lifting the spirits of the people that were there. It was also in the temple that the word of the Lord was read and it was spoken recounting his mighty acts and his steadfast love. No wonder Psalm 122 begins with those words, I rejoiced with those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Because if you go to a place where you're reminded that your sins are forgiven, where you are praying over, where your spirit's uplifted in worship, where you hear the word of the Lord recounting the mighty acts of God, that's a place that you'll want to be, right? That's a place where you will schedule around other things. You, you, you will not let other things take, take that part of your life. It was beautiful last night. Uh, there was a lady that came to me after the service, and she said, my work schedule was completely rearranged 
And she said, I'm now working four tens, and they asked me to put down which days I was going to work. And she said, Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. And then they had to explain why. And she said, why? Because I am going to go to the house of the Lord on Sundays because I'm going to worship the Lord who gave his life for me. She wrote that down on her employment papers. See, when we recognize what happens in the gathering of God's people, what happens when we truly do what, what, what the Israelites experience, we will plan other things around going to church and being in the, in the family of God. So Psalm 122 begins with that declaration, I rejoiced with those who said, let us go to church today. Let's go into the house of the Lord. Now, we know that God no longer lives in a tabernacle at Sinai. He no longer lives in a temple at Jerusalem. But God now has chosen to dwell in ordinary people like you and me. Isn't that amazing? Now, I, I, sh- I should probably speak for myself, but when I look around this room, I think God took a big chance right? He took a big risk to dwell in us. Why would God do this? I often wondered, why did not God just allow himself some other way? Or God, why didn't God place himself here? Why didn't God keep Jesus here in this earth? Why did he choose us? See, for whatever reason, God now reveals, God no longer reveals himself through this pillar of smoke and fire, not even through the body, the physical body of his son Jesus, but he reveals himself through a collection of people that make up the church right here at Grand Point and other places. You are now the representation of Christ. We are the temple, the dwelling place of God, the church. So in this confused and confusing world, we are now called to share in the representation of what God is like. In other words, you and I as the church, we give form and shape to what God is. So now when people come and they see us, they get a picture of who God is. So here's the question. Like like Martin Luther actually called us God's mask. That's very appropriate, right? God's mask. And he said this, he said, because the world cannot withstand the direct force of God's glory, so he uses human beings as the prime expression of himself. So for the watching world, and by the way, the world is watching the church. The world is watching us. So to the watching world, we ourselves form the proof that God is alive. We form the visible shape of what God is like. That's what the church is for. That's why we gather as the body of Christ. Let me ask you the question, how are we doing with that? How is that working out? What is the world seeing when they see the church? Are they seeing something different? Are they seeing God as he really is? Are we living in the complete freedom of his forgiveness? Are we praying with and for each other? Are we lifting the spirits of the people that we meet with? Are we testifying to the mighty acts and the steadfast love of God? Because if we are, people will be coming to this church as if they're going to a festival. They'll be coming in here. They won't be able to wait until they get into this this place. If we are truly the representation of who God is, they will be coming here to get a glimpse of God. 
Uh, Pastor Chris Hodges pastors the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, and I listen to him sometimes, and I love the story that he tells right after he started this church. The church is now about 35,000 people. They have eight, uh, or I, I think maybe 12 campuses all over the area, but when they started the church, they were about three months into it, and Pastor Hodges used to preach, and then he would go to the back of the church and greet people as they left the church. You know what I mean? I would love to do that because there's a lot of benefit in that. I would love to know all of your names, the names of your kids, the names of your pets, right? So we could have those conversations every week. But it's just hardly possible for me to meet everyone, and uh, Hodges no longer does that either. But three months into this, when his church was small, he was back there greeting people, and he says, I saw her coming. An older lady was coming back the aisle, and she had a scowl on her face. It was a church member with a concern. You know, concerned church members, right? They usually have a scowl on their face, and they're ready to tell you something that they're concerned about. So he saw her coming, and he was a young pastor, right, three months into this, and Church of the Highlands is a pretty lively church. They, I mean, they, they have some great music, uh, a lot of things there. And he's like, oh boy, here it comes. She's going to lay something on me. So she gets a little bit closer, and he's like, I started looking at the next aisle to see if I could, you know, go to the person over there, and maybe she would just walk past me. But he said, I didn't do that, and neither did she. She came right at him. He said, the blood started going up into my face because he knew what he was going to have to deal with. And sure enough, She got right up to him and she says, Pastor, there's one thing about this church that I don't like. He thought, okay, now now, whenever somebody says that, listen, it doesn't matter how confident you are or it doesn't matter how true the statement is going to be, you still don't like to hear this, right? You don't like to hear what's wrong with your church. But she did. Pastor Hodges, there's one thing that I don't like about this church. And he says, well, ma'am, what is that? And she's like, I have to wait six more days before I can come back here and worship again. In other words, she so enjoyed being in the presence of God and worshiping, she hated the fact that it would take six more days until she could do it again. Now, I've never had that conversation here, but I hope it is my, pr- it is my prayer and my desire for everyone coming to Grand Point Church that you would experience the manifest presence of God in such a way that you would not be able to wait and come back and do it again. Amen? That was a little weak, but I think I know your hearts, right? Come on, you want to be here. You, you love being here, right? And so that's really what church uh, should, be, should be like. So whether you're with the little old lady at the Church of the Highlands or the Jewish believers going to the temple, I hope that you're saying, I rejoiced with those who said, man, let's go to Grand Point this Sunday. Let's go to church and let's worship. Now, here's what I know. Like, we will say that. And others will discover that when we, the church, form the visible shape and model the visible shape of what God is like. When we demonstrate what God is like, people will flock to this place because they want to see that, they want to know that. So here's the question that I want us to consider for the new year. Uh, What would we have to do to be a church that looked like Jesus? Simple question. But let's all ask ourselves that question. What would this church have to do? What would we have to do to be a church that looked like Jesus? Well, I want to give you three things this morning that I believe are the answer to that. 
And this is not going to blow you away with any mind-boggling theology. In fact, you're going to think this is so simple and uh, maybe so expected that it wouldn't even have to be mentioned. But I'll tell you right, I'll tell you what, if we do these three things, we will have accomplished a lot. So here they are. Number one is this. We love life. We love life. Now, if you take notes, uh, let me just kind of expand on this a little bit more, but it's simply this, develop a high appreciation for life. If we're going to be a church that models Jesus Christ, we are going to love life, right? If anybody ought to love life and live it up, it is church people. So here's the deal. I don't know if you knew this or not, but joy, according to the Bible, joy is to be one of the characteristics of God's people, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, right? So you ought to be filled with joy. If God is working in your life, the result should be joy. Now, I know that some of you are going through hard times right now. Some of you are going through really, really difficult moments, and it kind of sucks all the joy and all of the, the, the pleasure maybe right out of, out of your lives. I know that you're experiencing some physical pain. Some of you live with pain every single day of your life. And that's hard to be joyful in the midst of pain. Some of you are going through some real emotional pains right now. You have relationships that are not working well, and it's hard for you. You're struggling with it, and I know that that's, that's your case. Some of you wake up every single day, and you're faced with the financial pressures of how do we get through this day? How am I going to get through this week? There's so many things that can take the joy right out of us. But here's, so it's not to suggest, what I'm saying today is not to suggest suggest that every day of your life ought to be a rerun of happy days, but it is to suggest that if Christ is in you, your life can and should result in a life of joy. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus tells us exactly how this can happen. Watch this. Jesus says, these things, you know what those things are? These things are a reference to the gospel. The very word of God that we study every single time that we come together here at church. The word of God that you read daily. The word of God that you use for your time, in your personal time with him. These things, Jesus says, have been written to you and spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants his joy inside of you no matter what. Now, the, the Apostle Paul is a perfect example of this. He was a man of the Word. He loved the Word of God, read the Word of God, listened to the Word of God, and you just couldn't bring this guy down, right? The Apostle Paul was a guy who loved to tell about the mighty works of God and the steadfast work of God's love, and he did it every chance that he had, right? He was one of these guys that just, just put it out there, and, and he got in trouble for it, right? So they told him to stop it, or they're going to throw him in jail, and when they put him in jail, he was like, oh man, great, great. I always wanted to finish writing the book of Galatians. Now I'll have time to do it. So he's sitting in jail and he's writing the scriptures and he, he's also taking the time to spread the word to the other people. He's like, if I'm in jail, man, I'm going to tell everybody in there about Jesus, including the guards. And the guards were like, Paul, would you stop talking about Jesus? We're tired of this. And if you don't stop talking about it, we're going to cut your head off. And, and Paul's like, oh, awesome. Because for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, right? So you just couldn't bring this guy down, right? He was this guy who knew what God God came to do what Jesus came to do and what Jesus came to be, and he lived it. He lived his life 
uh, just full of joy. See, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus did not come to make you anxious. Jesus did not come so that you could worry about your future. Jesus did not come so that you could live a miserable life. No, he came so that you might have an abundant life that is full of joy. What is it that steals your joy? There's a couple things. Penny and I were talking at breakfast the other day, and I knew this was coming up, so we were just saying, what is it that takes our joy away? Well, number one, the thing that takes your joy away is neglect of God's Word. Right? If you're not in God's Word, if you're not reading God's Word, if you're not dwelling in His Word richly, you will never know the full joy that God has provided for you. It is in His Word. That's why Jesus said, I've given you these things so that my joy might be in you and that, my joy, and that your joy might be full. Right? If you're not in the Word of God, do not expect to know joy because you won't discover it. Life will rob the joy right out of you, and unless your mind is so saturated and controlled by the Word of God, you will not have joy living in this world. The second thing that takes joy away from us is comparing ourselves to other people. Listen, that so easily happens, but the moment that you begin to compare yourself with somebody else, the joy will come right out of you because you'll lose the contentment of where you are, and when you don't have contentment, there's no joy. The third thing that sometimes will just take the joy away from us is this whole simple, simple idea of pride. When we make life so much about us and when we start gathering and collecting and receiving rather than giving, right? So when, when, we, start, when we start making it all about us and making life about you, you're going to be so miserable. Yesterday we were on a cycle ride and I was riding with one of our our uh, group members are uh, one of our circle leaders, and we we're having this conversation about what happens over the, uh, the holidays, and they were just sharing about how they gave, uh, the, their group got together, and they gave a meal uh, to somebody else, and it was just such a moment of joy, such a, a, a moment of happiness that came as a result of giving rather than receiving. And see, that's what happens when we make life about us. We become very, very miserable people. So number one is this. Uh, uh, it's impossible to, to kind of uh, love life without, you know, being someone that, that gives out. So number one is love life. As believers, we ought to be the people that are living it up in the best way possible. Because we have the opportunity to live as the world cannot live. So number one, church, this is, this is my goal for all of us, is love life. Number two is love people. Love people. Let's just be known for this. At Grand Point Church, let's just be known for the fact that we love people. In fact, it's one of our values. One of our values says that we value people more than programs. Now, we just need to live that out, and we need to demonstrate that in incredible ways. The problem is we sometimes let people get under our skin, right? So when somebody says something to us or disagrees with us, we allow that little thing to kind of control us, and we get upset with them, and sometimes we even say things that we wish we would not have said, which is exactly why 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because that's what Jesus did. Did you ever realize that the only people that were not attracted to Jesus were the religious people? The people that just thought they had all figured out? 
See, the outcasts were attracted to him. The unlovely were attracted to him. The prostitutes were attracted to Jesus, right? The tax collectors were, collect, were, were attracted to him. Children were attracted to him. Church, let's look like Jesus. Let's look like Jesus. Let's create a place where the person who doesn't agree with us still feels welcome when they come here. Let's create a place where the person who doesn't have it all together can still come in here and feel at home. Let's create a place where people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups can feel like they belong because they do. They belong here. Church, let's love people, love people, believe in them, accept them because that's exactly what Jesus did. And you know what? That's what I love about Grand Point Church. I love being a part of this church because this church demonstrates that kind of love to people. It's evident that you love people because love e equals generosity. In fact, 1 John 3, 18 says, little children, don't just talk about love. Don't just say that you love people, but do it in deed and in truth. My goodness, the way that you gave this past year has been more, has been a demonstration of your love for people like I have never seen. You have just been, you have done some incredible things uh, this past year. Going back to the small group, the circle leader, again, they have given so much uh, out of their, their uh, resources to bless somebody else that had a need in the community. It was an amazing story. And the words, the, the testimony that we got back from that, and I don't have the text with me, but the text came from this woman. I, I believe the, Mark, Mark, was it delivered on Christmas Eve? Uh, a gift was, uh, a meal was delivered on Christmas Eve. Christmas morning, uh, the woman responded to them with just this incredible uh, message of saying, thank you so much. You have no idea what this meant to us and what it meant for our children to see some gifts under the tree. Just an outpouring of your love. Normally on a Christmas Eve, we gather here and we fill this house and we take a, a big offering of anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $30,000 that we give out to our community. This year, we had about half the amount of people here and our offering was about $53,000. Unbelievable. So... It's, it's just this demonstration of love that comes through the people of Grand Point Church that is just absolutely amazing. So we want to be known for people who just love each other. We love people here. Our Jesus was also a kid magnet, right? So children would climb up into his lap. He loved them, and kids would love him. He was like Mr. Rich over at Kids Point, right? All kids love Mr. Rich. Mr. Rich loves kids. And by the way, next Sunday, Kids Point is starting back up again. So when you see kids out in the hallway, when you... You're ready for that, aren't you? When you see kids and parents in the hallway, just go up to those kids. Talk to them about Christmas. Say, it's so good to see you back here. Love on the kids that come to this church. Love on the teens that are in this place. Love on each other because that's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus would do. So number one is love life. Number two, love people. And finally, to be a life-giving church, I just want to encourage you to love God. Love God. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course, that's what we do. But I mean, no, I mean really, really be in love with God. Fall deeper in love with God to the point that he is your passion for life. 
because we say this over and over again. We say that we love God, and we might even sing songs about love, but do you really, really love God? Like, is he the most important person in your life? See, if you try to do this Christian thing without a deep love for God, it just will not work out because everything's going to be coming out of your own efforts. But when you truly love God, you're going to be giving your life to him. You're going to be sold out for him. You're going to be passionate about him. And everything in your life is going to flow out of that love for God. And you're going to discover that loving people and loving life will happen if you truly, truly love God. So here's my thing. I, th- I think, you know, when you, when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I mean, it is, it is game over. It's awesome. This is where it all begins. That's when things begin to happen. That is when life gets good. Now, listen, church, if I could have one dream and I could have one goal for you in this new year, it's simply that you would get to know Jesus better. That's it. You would get to know Jesus better and fall in love with him and his word. There's another psalm that says in Psalm 38, verse 9, for with you, the psalmist says, for with you, speaking to God, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. In other words, you get to know God, you get to know the light of God's word and and who he is, lights will come on in your life as well. Church, you are the representation of Christ. That's who we are. That's why we do church. That is why we gather, because the gathered church, the church that comes together, has an opportunity to do all those things that the ancient Israelites did when they gathered in the tabernacle and in the temple. We get to encourage each other. We get to build on each other, and together we get to demonstrate Christ to a watching world. That's who we are. The visible shape of what God is like, you and I represent Christ well when we love life, when we love people, and when we love God. And so that's my encouragement to you. Simple outline to begin this new year, one that you can remember, right? Love life, love each other, love other people, and love God. Let's pray together. God, today as we come together on this first day of the new year, my goodness, it is so good to be with other people in this room, in this house. It's so good to connect to our audience online and just involve them in this time as well. It was so good to take that bread and take that cup this morning to remember and to give thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. It was so good to be reminded again of all that you have done in the past for your people and what you'll do for us even as we give our lives to you. But God, we also come today confessing that there are times when we've walked away, we've drifted, we've forgotten, we've made life a little bit more about us. Maybe we've even fallen into some sin. We've made some bad choices. We've neglected you in so many different ways. And so we come back at the very beginning of this year and we seek a revival in this place, in this room. And so we pray as David did after he had a time of sin and fallen away from you, we come back and we say, God create in us a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And God restore to us the joy, the joy of our salvation. And that's our prayer today as we come into this new year. 
that you would just bring that recreation, that restoration, that renewal, that revival back into our lives, back into this church, back into our community so that we could represent Christ well as we love life, as we love other people, and as we love God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together as we sing.
team, we're going to make that our theme song for the entire month of January, which simply means that every service is a revival service in January, right? It's a revival meeting. So come on out. Let's be part of the revival that God's doing in this place, in this city, in our hearts and our lives. So we're asking the question, why? Next Sunday, we're going to ask the question, why do we sing when we gather? And even more so, why do we sing new songs? Because there's a good reason. It's a good reason why we do new songs. So we're going to ask and answer that question as we gather next week. So come on back and uh, just be part of the revival that God's going to do in our lives and in this place. Now, before you leave today, we want to give you an opportunity to worship and giving. Uh, some of you give when you come in. Some of you give online. Some of you drop off your offerings here at the church. But we want to know that you have an opportunity to give as you leave. And uh, feel free to do that. Uh, and thanks again for your generosity. And if you would, if you would just take your communion cup that you had and just take it to the back, drop it in the trash can. It would help us through a little bit of cleanup between the services here. And uh, thank you again for coming out today. Let me pray for us as we leave. God, we leave this room now and we're going out into a world that needs to see Jesus Christ. We go out as the representation. We're given shape to who God is. We want the world to see God as we live our lives, so help us to do that well and uh, just to be the manifest presence of God uh, in our world today. And we thank you for that great privilege and opportunity to represent you. Help us to do it well in Jesus' name. God's church said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at grandpoint.church, and until next time, remember that you belong here.